0: Welcome to La Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to the second of our Epiphany series, The Practices of Jesus, Healing, by Rev. Christy Mannion. We're opening to the Gospel of Matthew again this morning, chapter 4, a little bit later um, than in the chapter from last Sunday. During this season of Epiphany, we are looking at the habits and the practices of Jesus' life. What they teach us about following in his footsteps. Last week, Reverend Yonker preached about how Jesus lived and breathed scripture and how that living word spoke truth and grounded him when he confronted Satan's lies. And as we re-enter Matthew chapter 4 this week, the first disciples have been called Jesus has set up his home base on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, and he is starting his public ministry. Listen to these words, Matthew 4, verses 23 to 25. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is the word of the Lord. I was getting a haircut when the phone call came. Two phone calls, actually, and when I didn't pick up the phone, an urgent text message that said, Call. Soon. So in a fluster, as soon as I got out of the stylist's chair and paid her, I picked up the phone My mom was calling to let me know that my niece in utero, for whom we had been praying, had been diagnosed that morning at her 20-week ultrasound with a chromosomal anomaly. My niece would not live to term, or only for a short time after delivery. And my heart sank because this diagnosis came a year after my sister And brother-in-law had lost twins in their pregnancy. So God and I had a conversation through tears on the drive home. And actually, God did a lot of patient listening, and I did, to put it nicely, some loud talking in the general direction of the windshield. I remember saying to God, My sister trusts you. You could change this if you want to. Do you want to? So for three more months of pregnancy, we prayed. We prayed for glimpses of God's hand. We prayed for faith to be upheld. We prayed for my sister and her family to be able to see the goodness of God in the middle of this valley. Although we believed that Jesus does and can heal miraculously, I didn't sense that he was asking us to pray for that physical rearrangement of chromosomes, entire body systems. Although I wanted little Mina to live with every fiber of my being. And at 32 weeks, little Mina came into the world stillborn. We can say that she was loved every day of her life. And we can entrust her to the God who loves her more than we do. But the pain on this end is real. Many of you can relate, if not exactly, to this story, to another kind of illness, another kind of suffering, another kind of loss. A family member with a terrifying diagnosis, an accident that changed the shape of life much too soon, a chronic condition that makes you wonder, is this how life is now? As I reflected on the fall season and I leafed through beautiful, smiling Christmas cards this year, I realized the backstory behind almost every smiling picture includes something broken, something wrong, someone sick, someone grieving. Everyone needs healing. And it's into this kind of world that this scripture speaks to us so we look to our great physician to heal us, to teach us how to be his apprentices, his agents of healing in a world where things hurt. On the heels of Jesus' encounter with Satan in the wilderness, he begins his public ministry. He's teaching. He's proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. He's healing every kind of disease and sickness. And it is not a wonder at all that that gets people's attention. Other Jewish rabbis came teaching, but nobody else heals the way that Jesus does. Jesus' words about God's kingdom come with demonstrations of that kingdom, with glimpses of that kingdom's power. And there is no need for a news outlet or a social media network to share the word because it spreads, spreads from Galilee up to the Northwest, to Syria, to the Southwest, to Judea and Jerusalem, to the Northeast, across the Jordan, and to the Southeast in the region of the 10 cities. And people from all around come to see Jesus. Your daughter still has that fever? A woman says to her neighbor, well, I know what you got to do. You got to get her to Jesus. Those headaches are making everyday life impossible. Jesus is on his way. Be sure to get there early when he comes. And so it begins Jesus' grueling tour of Galilee with an almost endless parade of people who hurt. One commentator estimates that if Jesus visited two or three Galilean towns or villages per day, He would have needed three months to visit them all without taking time off for the Sabbath. Jesus walks long, dusty miles, encounters long lines of people, preaches the good news of the kingdom over and over and over, and in each place he comes face to face with the same kinds of human suffering. And he heals it. The word Matthew uses for that kind of healing is therapeuo. In English, you can hear our word therapy from it, and it means, in this case, a cure. Jesus doesn't heal through medical treatment. He doesn't heal merely by managing a chronic condition. Nor does Jesus offer spiritual healing that disregards the needs of bodies, as if bodies in pain were somehow less important to him, than oppressed and sin-sick souls. No, Jesus gets to the root of what ails people. He heals every kind of disease and sickness. He touches neural pathways. He wakes up nerves. He overthrows spiritual powers that keep people from God. No wonder people were coming from everywhere to see him. In this tradition, we tend to major in the teaching and proclamation aspects of Jesus' ministry. We talk a little bit less about his ministries of healing. At its best, that accent, that emphasis protects us in some ways against a dangerous and false assumption that if only we prayed in the right way, at the right time, with the right amount of faith, God would respond to our prayers for healing, that he would do what we want him to do. But we don't have to try to wrangle with God for the answers that we want. Our healing or the healing of somebody that we love doesn't depend on our technique. Thanks be to God. In the Gospels, Jesus heals in response to all kinds of requests. And sometimes, even when he's not asked to heal, at all. And then there's the Apostle Paul, our hero of faith, who prays earnestly and honestly for his thorn in the flesh to be removed. And God's answer is a gracious no. My grace is enough for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So if God answers someone like Paul with a no, child, not that, look over here for the other things I'm doing instead. We have to allow mystery in why God chooses to heal sometimes, some people, not other times. Why his healing comes in the back door and the side door rather than in the front door way we pray for and earnestly seek. Whatever Paul's thorn was, Jesus saw fit to let it remain while still offering Paul the cure that he needed the most. Himself. Jesus remains Emmanuel, God with Paul, God with us, thorns and all. And yet... On the other hand, it remains true that in Jesus and since Jesus, the kingdom of God has come near. The healing and wholeness that we witness in those glimpses of that kingdom are glimpsed, in part, here and now. Many of us can point to times when Jesus did answer our prayers for healing in a way that defied medical explanations. I'm thinking of the time that the renowned, no-nonsense, straight-shooting doctor comes to a patient's family and says to them, you know, we're not out of the woods, we still have a ways to go, but I can't explain the progress that's being made here in medical terms. God is responding to your prayers. As Christ's people, we are sent by God to restore the brokenhearted, to bind up wounds, to seek the wholeness of other people. Together, we do establish kingdom outposts by his Spirit. We do acknowledge that the name of Jesus and the power of God's Spirit comes in contact and confronts and defeats the powers of Satan and sin and death. We are Christ's body on earth. Through our loving attention, the Spirit speaks peace. Through our hands, Jesus touches places of pain. Through our eyes, he shows compassion. Through our presence, Jesus assures those who hurt that he sees them, he cares for them, even and maybe especially when they can't see him themselves couple snapshots from Jesus' ministry give us some postures to think about as we seek to follow in Jesus' steps to care for the people around us who hurt. We started this morning with a wide-angle lens on Jesus' ministry in, healing fo- in Matthew 4, and we're going to finish now with a couple zoomed-in scenes from Matthew 8 as Jesus interacts with individuals. So number one, appropriate and welcomed touch can be part of our ministry of healing in the name of Jesus. Matthew 8, verses two and three, a man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the man was cleansed of his leprosy. Often our first impulse when another person is hurting is to reach out, literally, with a pat on the back, hand on the shoulder, a hug. And if you're in doubt about whether to touch someone or not, asking is always a good idea. When you're a friend of a person in the initial waves of grief, when you're a pastoral care assistant making visits to someone who has really limited human contact, When you're a prayer servant offering intercessory prayers for someone, when you're a nursery worker serving a crying child, appropriate touch in the name of Jesus ministers his healing. Looked into the science behind touch just a little bit this week, and it's so interesting Even a brief touch from someone who cares can start the flow of the neurotransmitter oxytocin in our bodies. Helps us to feel more connected, helps us to build trust. It can actually help speed the healing of physical wounds. So when you hug somebody in pain, or when you receive a hug when you are in pain, you start to heal. Appropriate comforting touch makes a difference. Now, Jesus certainly doesn't only heal through touch. He also heals from a distance. Compassionate care from afar is part of our ministry in Jesus' name. Also in Matthew 8, we get the story of the Roman centurion who comes to Jesus and asks him to heal his servant. Jesus says to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion says, Lord, you don't have to come under my roof. I don't deserve that. But just say the word, My servant will be healed. And amazed at the centurion's faith, Jesus heals that servant right there from a distance. There are lots of times when we can't physically be with a hurting person, maybe because they're too sick to have visitors, or we can't get to them ourselves. And in those times, we reach out in other ways. We pray. We make supportive phone calls, we send text messages, we write cards, as so many of you do so faithfully. We connect through care pages. And in those ministries from a distance, the spirit of Jesus comes near too. Ultimately, Jesus heals through his own wounds. Our ministries of healing recognize the woundedness of the world our participation in it, the hope that we have because Jesus endured the cross. Nicholas Waltersdorf describes an interaction that he had with a Dutch obstetrician who taught nursing students. This is the story he tells. The question arose of how the doctor taught prospective nurses to work with mothers whose babies were stillborn or who died shortly after birth. I tell them, the doctor said, that when you go into the room, you need two eyes. With one eye, you check the IV. With the other eye, you must cry. One eye isn't enough. You need both. The nurse weeps because the mother weeps. The mother's weeping is the pained recognition that this is not how God meant things to be. Things have gone awry in God's world, which, of course, Walter Storff says, is why God has committed himself to redeeming it. The first eye is the eye of skilled knowledge, and it's with the second eye that the pain of the world and the hope for a new day enters your heart. As much as Jesus' miracles offer and affirm value of healing in this life. Jesus came to offer us something else, something more, something bigger. Hope for that new day. In this world, we have oh-so-regular reminders of the reality of death. That's been true for centuries. None of those thousands of people Jesus touched in his Galilean ministry is still walking the earth today. So our ultimate hope lies in something more, the ultimate hope Jesus offers through forgiveness, restoration with God, through the shadow of the cross. The punishment that brings us peace landed on him. By his wounds, we're healed. Jesus' healing comes to us through his suffering. It emerges in the power of the resurrection, guaranteeing our own fully healed, fully restored, resurrected life with him. This healing is our final cure. No other power can usurp it. No sin can warp it. No accident can damage it. No disease can destroy it. For our God will do away with death and mourning and crying and pain because the old order of things is guaranteed to pass away. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we are your children and we call upon you as people who need healing ourselves, who receive the grace of Jesus, and who welcome in the presence and power of the Spirit to walk in new life, to share your new life with others. Help us to be instruments of your peace. Encourage us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.